I do want to thank you for the chance we will share with you. And finishing up the book of Second uh, Corinthians, and we're going to be looking this morning at uh, verse five and six, or mainly just verse five. Verse five and six. We we started a, a, a part in Second uh, Corinthians where where uh, Paul expresses his concern for the church there. Started way back in, in, uh, in chapter 12, about about uh, verse 19. It goes down to verse 10 of chapter 13. But we're, we're up to verse, five, actually 5 and 6. And let's read verse 5. It, it says, uh, I'll read both verses. Examine yourselves whether you, you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that ye, we are not reprobates. And then, and then, and then uh, I like to tie that with 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, where he had said, um, "Oh Lord," and giving the Lord's table. I said, uh, Oh boy, I'm about to turn there. Uh, you know, it's just it's just amazing when you have verses that you uh, should know better than my name, but I don't even know my name right now. But in First Corinthians 11:28 says, "But but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup." A self-examination, and and that's what this is here. And in, in, uh, in chapter 13, verse five, it's, it's examine yourselves. A self-examination. I mean, t- test yourselves to see if you're a genuine believer, you know. And, and uh, the, the question comes up: if, if, during a test, what am I looking for? I've you know, read that a lot, and, and you can go through uh, Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews. It gives a great example of those who who uh, came so far and weren't saved, you know. And uh, and there are a lot of warnings throughout Scripture. But you know, during a test, what am I looking for, and and uh, what are the evidences that I'm genuinely a Christian? What are the marks of true salvation? I mean, what do I look for? Um, I mean, I mean, we we don't look for an event. I hear that all the time. You know, you, you had a, a prayer pass, a prayer. You walked an aisle. You responded to an invitation. You were baptized. You attend church regularly. You know, you have a. You're having good feelings about Jesus Christ, um, and it has that. Has, you know, it really has nothing to do with past events. Uh, it has nothing to do with feelings. It has nothing to do with church ordinances or attendance. I mean, if you if you want to truly know, I mean, if you want to take a spiritual inventory and find out whether you're genuinely and authentically Christian, I mean, I'd say here I'm going to offer up five, five to seven. Uh, suggestions that you look for. Number one is patience. Patience. What do I mean by patience? Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you know, the, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. People in the kingdom of heaven are poor in spirit. And, and uh, that basically means that they have a sense of their own bankruptcy. Um, a sense of their own spiritual poverty, a sense of their own overwhelming sinfulness. Uh, it causes them, according to the second beatitude, to mourn. 
And according to the third beatitude in Matthew 5, to be meek and humble. Uh, I mean, it, it's, there's in this heart of a true believer a humility, a grief about sin, okay? It's an attitude of penitence, a desire to confess sin. In, in 1 John chapter 1, uh, again, memory verses, uh, same matter discussed by the Apostle John. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we, uh, in verse 8, it says, we, you know, we deceive ourselves and the truth of God is not in us. But if we confess our sins, verse 9, one, one of the verses we should know, he's faithful and just to forgive us our righteous, just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, it's a characteristic of a Christian to, to, to acknowledge sin and confess sin. Uh, that's evidence that he's being forgiven and being cleansed. One who doesn't deal with the sin in their own life is evidently not a transformed individual. The first thing that occurs in the transformation of salvation is a recognition of one's sin. You're going to repent. What are you repenting of? Your sin. Uh, and it's, it's one separateness from God and one spiritual bankruptcy. And that, and that really never goes away, by the way. In, 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 in Romans chapter 5, Paul said it lingered right on through, throughout his spiritual life in Romans 7. He called himself a wretched man. And if you want to come to grips with, with your true spiritual condition, you start by, by doing an, an a, a inventory of your attitude um, towards sin. No, you know, most notably, your attitude towards your own sin. Uh, a lot of people get upset about social sin, and they can name them off to you. I mean, they, they, get, outrage, they get outraged at crimes and and, and uh, the, the social seizures, venereal diseases, I mean, what, except whatever, on and on and on. But it's easy to get upset about the sins of other people. And somehow neg- that negative will affect us negatively. I mean, when we're paying for those sins, it, it makes me kind of upset. But the issue here is our, is, is our, our own personal iniquity. True believers have a true recognition of, of their own spiritual condition. And they recognize that their problem is not a lack of self-esteem. Um, uh, their problem is not the fact that they're mistreated by other people, uh, and that they've been somehow wounded in their childhood. I mean, they, they recognize their problem to be sin, their own sin. Yeah. My problem is my sin. Yeah. And, and, and which has which put me in this bankrupt situation that I find myself. And, and I've, come, I've, I've come to cast myself only upon the grace of God and his mercy. And beg for his forgiveness. And, and that doesn't change. I mean, a, a true believer, they're gonna, they're, there's going to be an, an ongoing resentment of sin in my own life. Resent it. And, and as well as other sins that dishonor God you know, and those that we love. But you see, you look, you know, you're, if, you're, if you're looking, we'll look for an attitude of penance. Penitence in our life. Secondly, what you... What you one of the suggestions you could look for on your test would be righteousness. And, and, and those same beatitudes in verse 6 there in, in, in uh, Matthew, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled or satisfied. The true believer there's not only ha- has an aversion to sin, but they had this attraction for righteousness. 
And, and you not only are attracted to what's right in, in the world around you, but, I mean, whenever the things are right, I mean, whenever they are, I don't know, it's just hard to find that today. Uh, and you're not only attracted to what's noble and good and God-honoring and people around you, but you pursue it in your own heart. That's what you're after in your own heart. You love righteousness. And, you, and your, your righteousness is, is inside, not the outside. I'm talking about on the inside. That's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 5.20, that your righteousness must exceed that of the, of, of the scribes and Pharisees. That theirs was external. They wouldn't kill somebody, but they would hate them venomously, though. They hated uh, the Gentiles. They wouldn't outwardly commit adultery, but, man, they had lustful, wicked thoughts in, in their heart, in their mind, that they entertained and practiced in their mind. And they wouldn't violate some statement with regard to God outwardly, but they violated it in their hearts. And, and uh, they would say they worship God, but in their hearts they were far from him. And, and, and the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, the righteousness of superficially, if you will, religious people is external. And, and your righteousness must exceed that external righteousness of those people. That's what Jesus was saying. In 2 Timothy 2.19, Paul uh, says, nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows there were his, those who are his. And, and who are they, by the way? Well, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's who are Christ's in that context. There aren't somebody living in sin as a normal practice of their life. And so there's an aversion to wickedness and a love of holiness. Silas 1.16 says there, there are people who profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him being detestable, disobedient, and, and worthless for any good deed. It's, it's not a matter of what we say. It, it's what we pursue. Doing what's right from the heart. I mean, do we have a desire for what's right? Do we have a longing in our heart to honor God? Do we, do we love what's right, what glorifies the Lord? What honors him? That's that's the issue. Again, one of the little tests we could run on ourselves. There's a third suggestion for a test. It's a, it's important to test the test of submission of submission. Uh, is is there a compelling in, in in our heart to submit to divine authority? Do we find ourselves a willing servant of God, an eager servant of Jesus Christ, or are are we like the rich young ruler who in Matthew 19 came? came uh, uh, to him. Jesus said, sell everything you have, okay, and give it to the poor. And because he loved his money so much, he turned his back and he walked away. Now, Tim would sell his cows. I know Tim. He wouldn't keep his cows. And Jesus said, sell, he'd sell them. He wouldn't walk away. We're, we're in 2 Corinthians 13, uh, Tim, and, and uh, looking at verse 5 about how, how you examine yourself. How do you know you're in the Lord? How do you know you're saved? When you examine, we're called to do this ourselves. Not something the pastor's called to do. But we, you know, so, so he was not converted, the rich young ruler. He left. And, and he, le he left in his sin because he wouldn't submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And it's, it isn't that Jesus asked everyone to give up all you have and give, give their money to the poor. Jesus doesn't ask everybody to do that. But it's Jesus that asks everyone who comes to him to recognize his sovereignty in our life. Jesus is to be your king, your sovereign, your God, your master. 
And that's where the true, that's where the true sense of, of our bankruptcy really comes in, spiritual bankruptcy. A real hatred of sin, a true attraction to righteousness, and, and an eager submission to the Lordship of Christ because we understand that he, he has really what's best in, in his mind for us. When, we, when you walk with the Lord, you realize that his way is the best way. And, and then over in, in, in our Bible, Luke chapter 14, Jesus had these great multitudes who were, were, were going along with Jesus, and he was drawing to mid his crowds. It tells us there in Luke 14, because of his miracles, and, and, and the crowd heard him say some things that started, you know, starting in, in verse 26 of chapter 14, and, and that didn't sit too well with most of them. And there, there was this huge crowd, and, and in fact, you know, it's really, it's going to kind of thin out the crowd, is what he's doing. He says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, his even own life, he can't be my disciple. And he's talking about singular submission here, singular submission. You can't be concerned about the demands and the expectations of your family. That's what he means by you know, hate. He doesn't mean a victrolic attitude toward them. He means hate in the sense that you'd give no place to their wishes as opposed to those of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes first every time, all the time. And you're willing to submit to him if it costs you your family. You're willing to submit to him if it costs you your own life. In verse 27, he says, whoever doesn't carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And the cross is sort of the symbol of death. If you're not willing to follow Jesus at any cost, even death, you're not worthy to be his disciple. And I, I can't think of a stronger test of true salvation than to affirm the lordship of Jesus Christ over your entire life, no matter what the cost. And then he illustrates that in verse 28, for, for which of you, you know, when he wants to build a tower, doesn't sit down first and calculate the cost uh, to see if he has enough to complete it. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to go in this construction project and you want to calculate what it's going to cost you before you start the project. Now, it doesn't always work out that way for people, but that's the way I recommend that way. Um, otherwise, it says, verse 29, you'll lay the foundation. You won't be able to, to finish it, and all the who, who are going to observe it are going to begin to ridicule you because you know, you're in that planning and saying that this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Another illustration he gives in, in verse 31, he says, what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not sit down and take counsel whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to, 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 to uh, encounter the one who's coming against him with 20,000 people, soldiers, uh, and you're, you're not going to go into battle and put lives of the people on the line without a strategy. So you consider it first. Or else while the other guy's way away, you, you, you send a, a delegation to, and ask for terms of peace. What are your terms for peace, by the way? Yeah. And he, he, he counts his troops and their capability. I mean, how, you know, are they, are they, you know, how deadly are my troops? And, and, and his battle plan, and he goes to war, or he pleads for truce. And so, so he says, so likewise, verse 33... Uh, whosoever he be of you that, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And my disciple doesn't give up all his own possessions, 
my, my disciple who doesn't give up my, all the possessions. It, it, it doesn't mean that you have to become poverty-stricken. It, it, it means you, you yield to the sovereignty over, I mean, Christ's sovereignty over everything in your life. And you're willing to give it up. That's an, an affirmation of the fact that Jesus is Lord. Come in where it's warm. <laughs> We're in 2 Corinthians 13, chapter 13, looking at verse 5, and examining yourself, whether you're saved or not. How do you know if you're saved? What kind of a test do you take? Pastor gives this test. It's a blood test, actually. It looks for a certain marker. It's a joke. But uh, anyway, we're, we're, we're considering that uh, this morning in Sunday school. It says, and, and when you, when, when we, when we come realizing our spiritual bankruptcy, and when we come mourning over our own sin, and when we humbly, and when we, when we come hungering and thirsting for righteousness, there's a, and, and there's such a des. A level of desperation we're really willing to follow whatever the cost that Jesus would lay on us. Submission. I don't think at the moment of salvation you understand all the implications of that. Submission. But as they unfold, we embrace them. And the more you mature in Christ, the more wonderful His will becomes to us no matter what the price. And a fourth area that you could look, we could look for in our life is penitent. Well, first was penitence, then, then righteousness, and then submission. And, and, and the fourth is obedience. The fourth is obedience. James chapter 1, uh, the issues addressed pretty well. Familiar with, I'm sure all of us, James 1.21 says, you know, putting, you know, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity, uh, of naughtiness and, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save you your souls. And then verse 22, be, be, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If we're only a hearer and not a doer, we're self-deceived. We're self-deluded. And, and, and a, a, a doer is, is one who hears the word and obeys it. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, verse 23, he's like a man who looks in the, in the natural at his natural face in a mirror or a glass, and once he's looked at himself, he, 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 he's, he walks away, he, he forgets what kind of person he was. But, but one who, who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, the, the Bible, the scripture, and, and abides by it, having not become forgetful, forgetful here, but an effective doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Those, those are hearers only, those who are hearers only are self-deceiving I and mean, they think they're Christians. They're not. But it's a matter of receiving the word and doing it. Jesus said in Matthew 7 uh, to the people who hear my word and don't do it are like somebody who built their house on what? On sand. And, 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 uh, and the people who hear my word and do it, they're like the people who built it on a rock. Salvation is, is genuine. I mean, if, if, when it's built on a rock, when that's, Jesus is your foundation. In John chapter 8, another important text regarding verse 30, it says, Many came to believe in him. Jesus was teaching, and people were listening, it says, and he spoke these things, and many came to believe in him. But Jesus was going to test their character, their faith there, and what was it the real thing? You know, like the, 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 the pop drink, is it the real thing? Were they authentic? So, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who were who believed in Him, "If you abide in my word, then you're you're real disciples, you're you're you're, you're my disciples, 
and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And that's, that's salvation. If you hear the word and you abide in that word, and, and again, that's an indication of obedience. In, in 1 John 2, again, the same emphasis, verse 3. And by this we know that we, that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And this is an assurance of our, we'll know we're authentic. The, the one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments, verse 4, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly perfected. And by this, we know that we are in him and, 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 and uh, you, you want to know, we want to know if we're in Christ, we're going to know when we obey the word of God. When we look at my life, am I obeying the word of God as I know it? In uh, chapter 3 of, of, of 1 John, verse 24, it says, saying that, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And, 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 and we know this by, you know, by this, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he hath given us. I mean, we can know by the Holy Spirit giving uh, assurance uh, to the question. I mean, you, you look at your life and you see an aversion to sin and you see a penitent attitude and you see a willingness to confess your sin and, and, and you, you see a, re, a recognition of your own spiritual bankruptcy. You, you look into your heart and you, and you see a love of righteousness. You love righteousness. And you, you want to do what's right and honor and glorify God, something beyond superficial righteousness of the Pharisees, not just the outside. And a true love for the right from the heart. And you look at your life and you see a desire to submit in every area of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, who's the sovereign of, over your life, and you hear the word, you respond with the desire for obedience. I mean, those are the things that mark a true and authentic Christian. A, a fifth suggestion, as, as you look at your, you know, as, as you examine yourself, something to look for. And this is a brief list. The list in the Bible could be very long, but a brief list. The fifth, fifth suggestion is, is, is love. Um, It'd be number five in our little list. And, and uh, it's a fair question. In 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world. That's the wicked system that, that uh, Satan operates on the planet, the planet, nor the things of the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It can't, really can't be more clear than that. If you love the world, God's, God isn't in you. God's love's not in you. In, in James chapter 4, familiar passage, James 4, 4, you adulteresses, and that's a metaphor, it's metaphoric. Uh, you say you're the true wife of God, but you're not, you're not, a, you're an adulteress. Uh, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God or toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't do both. You can't love Satan's system. I'm not talking about a sunset or a beautiful mountainside, uh, a pretty picture or, or a yummy meal. I'm not talking about that. Or, or a comfortable chair. Pastor has a comfortable chair. He says it's been worn out twice, but it's just right. We're just right for him. But we're talking about the world system, uh, the cosmos, the wicked world system. If you, if you love it, the love of God isn't in you. You can't be the friend of the system without becoming the enemy of God. And then you... If you go back again to 1 John, there are some other issues of love. In 1 John 2, 9, uh, the one who says he, he's in the light, he's a believer, 
and yet hates his brothers in darkness till now. And first of all, you love the kingdom, not the, you know, you, 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 uh, not the world. Secondly, you love other believers. The one who loves his brother, verse 10 says, abides in the light and has no cause for stumbling in him. Verse 11, the one who hates his brothers in darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The test of love, for whom do we have the greatest affection? For God's people? I mean, do, we, do we love to be with the Lord's people? Do we like to go to church? Do we, do we, do we, I mean, uh, John, uh, 1 John 3, verse 14, it's, it's a really, a really clear, it says, we know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And he, he, he who doesn't love abides in death. Verse 17, whoever has the world's goods and uh, beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against his, him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or with tongue. But indeed, in truth, I mean, we shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him. I mean, it's that simple. If you, if you believe in Christ and you've been genuinely transformed, you'll, you'll love the kingdom and not the world. And you'll love the brotherhood to say nothing of loving Jesus himself. And John said, we, we love him because he first loved us. That, that's the right approach to the inventory the question to ask ourselves is, do I have the penitent heart over sin? It's, it's not as penitent and repentant as it ought to be, I can assure you that. But is that my character? Is that the longing of my heart to turn from sin? Do I have a desire for righteousness, to do what's right, to honor, and to glorify God? Do I, do I long to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, even though my flesh battles against that? Uh, do I have a desire to submit to his will no matter what it is? Uh, do I hear the word of God preach with eager ears? I mean, so much that I want to obey it. And do I love the kingdom and not the world? I mean, do I love believers? Do I love the Lord? I mean, those are the issues. And so my spiritual inventory is a matter of, it's a now. It wasn't that I walked the aisle or the pastor shook my hand. You know, three years ago. That's not it. What is now? The situation is now. Do I love the Lord now? I mean, I mean so, and, and, to, and to have to, it, it, I have to say, if, 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 if we hate sin and love righteousness uh, and eagerly submit to the Lordship of Christ and, and, and long to obey the Word of God and, and love what is righteous and holy, that means God's changed our heart. We're a, we're a, you're a transformed person because that's not normal. Okay, that is not normal. And that's that's just it's not that's not plain humanity. And and to see these parts these tests perhaps cast in a different light, over in, over in Second Peter puts a different spin on it. And in chapter one, Second Peter one verse five says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge. Uh, it could be like pursue knowledge. It's a way of thinking about obedience and know the truth. And, and in verse 6, and, and, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly love, kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. I mean, pursue these things. I mean, these are, these are it's another way to frame the very same questions. Uh, you know, 
you know, moral excellence, that's, that's the pursuit of righteousness. Godliness, that's turning from sin. Self-control, I mean, obviously hang, you know, bringing yourself under the control of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Perseverance means you know, obeying no matter what. I mean, no matter how difficult it is. And, and brotherly kindness and love, of course, refer to the category of love. And then verse 8, it says there in Peter, for if we do, if, if, or if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, they give evidence of your knowledge of Christ. If that's a proof, that gives evidence that you're saved. And, and, and uh, it's a true knowledge. In verse 10, wherefore, the rather brethren give, give diligence to make, make your, your calling and election sure, for if we do these things, you shall never fall. Uh, and as long as we see these things and practice them in our life, we're never going to stumble into doubt. In verse 11, for, for so an entrance uh, uh, shall be ministered unto you abundantly in, into the everlasting kingdom of, of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The, the key, I think, is at verse 10. You, you can make your calling and election sure. You're, 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 you're choosing. Uh, you look at your life and you see the, these things in your life then you can know for sure that you're saved. You're part of the kingdom of God. And if they're not there, I mean, you need to, it, gives, it should be a sure sign you need to, to repent and get it right. I mean, you've been uh, purified from your former sin. So you, you know it's, uh, po it's, it's possible for a Christian, according to Peter here, to, to get confused. If, he, if he's not continually pursuing these issues there in First Peter. These are the marks of true salvation. If you fall into some spiritual doldrums or, or falling patterns of sin as a believer and you, you start doing an inventory, you may have some real doubts about your salvation. Uh, but you know, but, it, but, it, but if you are per pursuing these things, you'll, you'll, you, you'll have none. You'll have none, it says here. The spiritual test that convinces us of the genuine, how genuine our salvation is is, is, is it, those are the God wrought works in our life. We, we see God working in our life. Our, our text demands really the same attention. James 2.14, it's, it's not enough to say you believe. James says, what is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, if he has no works, can that kind of faith save him? And it doesn't do any good to say, I believe, I believe, I believe. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't do any good to say, well, I, I made a decision, I walked an aisle, I responded. To an invitation, I prayed a prayer. Actually, you know, I, I signed the card. I mean, I, I, I felt emotional. I mean, I was baptized. I was whatever. Else. It doesn't do any good. I mean, what what use is it to say my faith? I have faith if it's not evident in works that demonstrate penitence, righteousness, submission, and obedience and love. For example. The issue of love, verse 15, of a brother or sister is without clothing and need of daily food, you, and, you, and one says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, and you don't give them what's necessary for the body. I mean, what use is that? I mean, it doesn't mean anything if there's no demonstration of love. That, that, that kind of faith without, without works, he says, verse 17, is dead. Uh, they're, they're, uh, it, it exists in isolation. It's not a saving faith. Someone, verse 18, may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. I mean, how can you do that? How can you show faith without works? Show me your, if someone says to you, show me your faith without doing anything, what are you going to show them? 
He's not going to show them anything. You, you, you see, faith, it, 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 it's an invisible thing, by the way, faith. Uh, so, uh, so James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. And it's, it's the only true faith. Uh, it's the only true faith that, that, that's the only way true faith can be demonstrated and, and if you say you believe in, in, in the uh, in the oneness of God you, you believe there's only one true God he says you do well here in James says the demons also believe they go you know they go actually they should they tremble they shudder they believe so much they shudder I mean are you willing to recognize I mean without faith that works is useless it isn't it, 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 it's, it's interesting, he says the devils believe. James says the devils believe. And the demons believe. Not only do they believe, they believe enough to be frightened. And that means they have genuine belief. The, the, the demons have genuine belief. And they understand that damnation awaits them in a lake of fire. I mean, they believe that. And they have a kind of, they have a kind of non, non-saving demon faith. They tell us a lot about saving faith by providing an opposite. I mean, you, 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 you just take, let me just take you through this. What, what, is, what is the faith of demons? We've got a couple minutes. That doesn't save. First of all, it has knowledge. The demons have knowledge. I mean, the demons know God's nature better than any men do. Uh, because they know God. I mean, they were there in heaven before they fell. They're far more intelligent than men are. Um, they, 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 and, and therefore, they have a greater capacity to grasp the greatness of God. They not only have the experience, but they have from sheer power of their intellect, but to, to, they, they can bring more to the table than we do because of their intellect. And, and, and they've been alive since they were created at the time of creation. I mean, so they're very old which means they've accumulated a massive amount of experience by personal knowledge and having been in heaven, by intellectual capacity, and by, the, by just thousands of years of experience. They understand God's nature. They've seen more of God and more of God's works than all humanity combined. And, and they have knowledge of the saving power of Jesus Christ. They've seen it. They've seen it, and they've seen the power of Scripture. They understand what the Bible says about holy angels and fallen angels is true. They understand that the Bible says about man is true. They understand that. And what it says about heaven is true, and what it says about hell is true. And some of them are already in an abyss. They understand all of that. I mean, all the de- you know, all demons are fundamentalists. I want to say quickly, though, but all fundamentalists aren't demons. But all demons are fundamentalists. They're all Bible-believing fundamentalists, and and they have a supernatural knowledge and, 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 and of the invisible eternal realm, which makes the first point: no amount of knowledge is proof of salvation. Just an amount of because you know something doesn't mean you're saved. No amount of knowledge is uh, again proof. Uh, no amount of no amount of belief in the knowledge is proof of salvation. The devil is orthodox. He, he, he believes it because he knows it's true. The devil has the right theology. I've got two more minutes. Thirdly, the fear of God's judgment and, and wrath is, is uh, no amount of fear of God's judgment and wrath is proof of salvation. Just because you're afraid doesn't mean you're saved. Demons are afraid. I mean, when Jesus cast them out of the swine, remember, they, they said, please don't send us to the pit. They live in fear. 
And that, that's what it says here in James that they shudder in verse 19 there, they tremble. And, and, and fourthly, no amount, of, no amount of guilt of sin is proof of salvation. I mean, the demons feel guilty. That's why they shake and they know they're, they're justly condemned to hell and, and, the, and no amount of desire for salvation means you're saved. I can imagine, I mean, Jesus holds the keys to heaven and, and, and to hell. He won't unlock the place for the, for the demons, by the way, in Revelation 1. He holds those keys. And no amount of knowledge or belief in that knowledge or amount of fear of God's judgment, wrath, no amount of guilt for sin, no amount of desire for salvation is necessarily a proof of salvation. And just one beyond, no amount of religious experience is proof of, of, of salvation. You know who are the most experienced creatures in the universe in religion? It's the demons. They're the ones who control all the religions of the world. The Old Testament says, and you know, whenever the, or whoever these whoever these nations worship, they worship demons. So it says in, in Corinthians also. So, just no amount of the knowledge of the superiority of Jesus is proof of salvation either. They, they can know he's the king. They know he's the king. They know he's supreme. They know he's Lord. They know Jesus is. And Hebrews 5.12 says, you should be teaching others by now to the fellows that weren't saved yet. You should be able to be a teacher already. And then, you know, just, you know, yeah, just, uh, I ran out of time. Um, You know, they, they, the, the, same, the, the week before Jesus was crucified, he came to the city and they all sang, Hosanna to the Son on high. Yes. Just praising Jesus doesn't mean you're saved either. Because mm. the same people crucified him the next week. And so we're called to examine yourself. And, and you look for that internal transformation. You look for, for do, you, do you have true penitence? Do you have a real hatred of sin in your own life? Do you, do you, do you seek to be submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ? You love his people, there's a love of Christ in your heart. So many more things, but you know, we need to examine ourselves and, and have your, the assurance yourself. Know yourself that you're saved. You don't need someone, you know yourself that you're saved. That's what, that's what Paul is calling for here. Thanks for letting me share with you.